I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Monday, March 23, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? We have a down day. We have a close below the tail low from last week. We were looking for, for the bullish side, for that tail low. This is from the 18th of March right here, which was last Wednesday. We were looking for that tail low to hold, which would hold the concept of a low in place. That didn't hold, it's off the table. We've got something else on our hands. So we're gonna talk through the whole thing tonight. We're gonna look around the horn. The intraday activity was very, very interesting because the market is challenging certain numbers. And when you know the market is challenging certain numbers and you can identify the importance of those numbers, you know where the resistance, you know where the support is, and you're able to trade the tape. That's the whole concept behind Inside the Numbers. We're in, believe it or not, somewhat of a familiar time inside of uncharted waters. What do I mean by that? How can we be looking at a waterfall decline in the market over the course of three weeks and say that we're in somewhat of a familiar spot in the market? Well, let me explain. We have Kabuki Theater unfolding before our eyes. This is really Kabuki Theater on steroids, or we can call it Kabuki Theater 2.0. What does that mean? Well, the original Kabuki Theater is around the Fed announcements. So the market tends to get a little bit whippy in and around the Fed announcement. It's waiting, quote-unquote, on the Fed announcement. So it doesn't really go anywhere. Whenever the Fed has their announcement, they have a meeting on Tuesday. They have a meeting on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, they come with the announcement. The market decides whether it likes it or not, and then it goes. That, in a sense, is our Kabuki Theater. Well, we have Kabuki Theater 2.0 or on steroids, which is we're waiting on the Senate vote. We're waiting on the bailout package, the multi-trillion dollar package that's going to save the entire economy. I say that tongue-in-cheek because the reality is the Fed can't be the market. Let's take a sabbatical for a second from the chart. Let's talk about concepts. Let's talk about the Fed. Let's talk about what they're doing and what's really going to happen over time. Basically, the Fed instituted what I like to call a rescue operation attempt this morning when they came out with a statement that said, we're going to do whatever it takes. We pretty much are issuing a blank check to the markets. Huh? What does that mean? What it really means is The Fed has the intention, or at least they're giving the public the perception that they're going to purchase whatever they need to purchase to hold up the markets. They talk about the economy, but they're really concerned with the markets. They can't purchase the economy, but they can purchase securities in the open market. If they hold the market up, the sentiment will change, things will appear that they're stabilizing, and life goes on. The Fed is essentially trying to manufacture a low in the market. Now, with that being said, what are they intending to buy? And my interpretation from what they said is they're willing to buy anything. I'm not sure they'll buy the old golf clubs in the garage, but in terms of securities, it looks like they're willing to buy anything. Bonds, 
corporate bonds, mortgages, municipal bonds, and I'm not sure about that, but it could be thrown into the mix, exchange-traded funds. So they're basically buying stock. That's a playbook right out of the Japanese model, how they decided to fight deflation. It didn't work. But the Fed's going to do it anyway. They don't really care what works, what doesn't work. They're going to throw as much money at the problem as they can until markets stabilize. So whether they go down another 10 or 15%, whether they stabilize right here, right now, they're willing to throw the book at the problem. It's the bazooka approach. They're trying to make sure the public has the perception that the Fed is here as a backstop they're going to save the day. The markets are not going to go into the abyss and everybody's not going to lose 100% of their retirement funds. That's what the Fed is trying to tell you. Can they be successful at it? There's an old adage across the markets. Don't fight the Fed. But here's the deal. Just because they said they're going to step in and buy stuff every day, every week, whatever they're going to do, doesn't mean it's going to work today. Doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. Right now, front and center, center stage is Kabuki Theater. Nobody really gives a hoot about the Fed right now. What they care about is the big bailout package being voted on by Congress. People want their checks. They want their payroll checks. They want a check in the mail so they can buy whatever they need if they're strapped for cash. Too many people have been laid off. Too many people will be laid off in the face of the whole coronavirus pandemic. And frankly, this is just my take. Now's not the time for the Congress, meaning the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's almost like a freaking color war. Red versus blue, green versus yellow. It doesn't matter. It feels that way. They appear as children. They need to put their partisanship aside. They need to sit across the table and think about the American people. Panic has set in. People are scared out of their wits. Not only did they potentially lose their job, at least temporarily, but who knows which businesses are going to open after the fact. Nobody should be under the misconception that every business that exists today will exist 60 days from now. That's not going to be the case. That's just the way it works. Now, there's something else I want to bring up, and I don't do this to scare anybody. I do this because I have the information, and I'm interested in conveying it to you. One of the issues out there, and it doesn't get talked about a lot, but it does get discussed, so you need to pay attention to this one. When they talk about liquidity issues, and they talk about the repo market, yes, I'm bringing back Repo Man. They talk about commercial paper now. They talk about a lot of things to make sure the financial markets, the markets as a whole, have liquidity. What they're also discussing, what you're also hearing mentioned, is that there's a liquidity crunch on money market funds. Huh? Isn't a money market fund cash? No, it's not. It has the perception of cash to the general public, but it's not cash. What's inside of a money market fund? First of all, let's back up the truck. What is a money market fund? So you have your money, for example, your retirement funds or any funds. You have your money at a brokerage firm, at a mutual fund company like Fidelity, at a place like Schwab. It doesn't matter where. So you have a bunch of cash and you park it. Most of the time, most people will park their money in a money market fund. Why? It yields money, right? It yields a return. 
How does that work? It's not a treasury bond, it's a money market fund. So what's inside of the money market fund? How does it yield a return? Or how does it provide a return to the shareholder? And that's right, it's a mutual fund. So when you buy a money market fund, you are a shareholder in the fund. What is the fund manager doing? He's managing the fund with short-term instruments that are what? Short-term paper, short-term bonds, commercial paper, all kinds of stuff that's not guaranteed like a treasury bond. And by the way, there could be some treasuries in there and there likely are treasuries in there, but not only treasuries in there. Otherwise, the fund would say treasury fund. So for those of you that have money market funds and you don't realize what a money market fund is, you better double check that they're giving you back 100 cents on the dollar. Here's the proof in the pudding. In the financial crisis of 2008, some of the money market funds broke the dollar. Now, all that filtered out, recovered, all that stuff. But here we are again. You need to know what you have. You need to pay attention to where the holes are in the market. You need to pay attention where other people aren't. When a bunch of people think they're sitting on cash and they realize they're not because all of a sudden their cash is worth something different tomorrow than it was worth today, they begin to question it. Once they figure out it's not cash, they want their money back. It's just food for thought, not trying to scare anybody. It's just the facts. I'm the umpire calling balls and strikes. Let's get back to the chart for a moment And let's just keep it simple for the purposes of this video. We had the tail low from last Wednesday. The low happens to be 228.02. Now check this out. Here's a little short hop, but check out the 945 post at the top, bottom line. Until and unless they get back above the tail candle low, they go lower. SPY 228.02. If they do go lower, They'll target and spike below ES2200. I have to flip back and forth sometimes because of the overnight activity and because of the span of points the market is covering in any one given day. Under normal garden variety conditions, there would be a bull bear battle around that general area. So let's go check out the chart for a moment. Here's a five minute intraday chart of the SPY. Everything to the right of the vertical line is today's activity. The market went down immediately. So let's find 945 where that post was made. So 945, the market's already at around 223.5, give or take. That's about 50, 45 to 50 S&P handles away from the number I just cited, 228 and change. So here we go. We know 228 is going to be resistance. I know from experience, because this isn't my first rodeo, They're going to try and get the market back above that tail candle low, which is above 228. So here we go. By 10.15 in the morning, where are they? Making a high of 228.78. Were they able to sustain above 228? No, they fell away. What happened when they fell away? Well, not sustaining above 228. Remember from inside the numbers just a minute ago, what would they do? They would go down to ES. 2200 or lower well you can't tell that on the spy chart but you can tell from the es chart this is the s p e-mini futures chart 2200 is the horizontal trend line that represents the target 
if they couldn't get through 228 in the SPY, which basically coincides with 2262 in the ES contract. And here you have a high made of 2287. Here the high is 2277. Here the high is 2275. So they spike it up, but then they fall away. 2200, fall below it. We cited that. The bull bear battle ensued around in and around 2200. And what happened? They made another run for 228 in the SPY. Funny how that works. Now, for those of you that want to see, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to scroll around the pre-market morning notes and then the intraday activity, and you can see what was said. You can see what the market did. And then you can decide whether you would like a tour guide for the market during the trading day. Some days are much better than others, but generally speaking, we've got a pretty good handle on the market day in, day out. So let's see the rest of the pre-market morning notes. We didn't have any stocks on the move because we had the shenanigans before the opening bell. That was the announcement of the rescue operation from the Fed and everything that I was targeting in the pre-market turned around. It became instant kabuki theater. And let's just scroll up so you can read the rest of the inside the numbers commentary. We always have some early thoughts these days. And the rest of it, you can start and stop the video at your leisure. You can read the notes. You can skip over everything. You can do whatever you like. But it's important to see the detail of what's in here. And then go back to the charts and just study it for yourself. That's the only way that you're going to learn if, in fact, this is something that can benefit you. What I will tell you is there are traders and there's many of them that are making plenty of money using the information each and every day inside the numbers. Someday we have easy trades from stocks on the move right out of the gate. Other days we have whopper trades from the S&P 500. Some days we have both. Some days are quieter than others. Some days are busier than others. You never know exactly what you're going to get from the market. You never know what Mrs. Market is going to hand you. Let's go ahead and scroll up and finish up the notes. And then we'll get back to some charts because we can always learn stuff from a variety of charts, a variety of time frames, a variety of markets. There's always a puzzle being put together. The question is, can we find the pieces? Can we assemble the picture so we can see what the market is saying? Here's a pretty simple but effective exercise using the S&P 500 or the SPY. Daily chart, bullish or bearish? It's obviously bearish. We're below everything from last week. Nothing whatsoever is holding. Until and unless there's a rescue operation that sticks, they're telling you price is going lower. Where to? Refer to the video from the weekend because we discuss exactly where the buy zone is if they get there. If they put in a low somewhere before that buy zone, that's a different story. You have to make the distinction between what I'm willing to step in and buy if reached. That's different from taking a stab at another price without a definitive low and something to trade against. When you treat this as a business, you have to have something to trade against. So the daily chart is obviously bearish. Anything to hang our hat on on the 240-minute chart? Not really. Can make a case. You have a little tail candle here and a retrace, but I'm not buying the story. It's weak. They're pointed lower. And until and unless they have the bailout package done from Congress, the market's going to go lower. 
The market does this to the Fed. It's doing it to Congress, and it's done it to Congress before. What it does is it basically tells Congress or tells the Fed what it needs to do. We've had this discussion before. It is the tail wagging the dog. Right now, the tail is the market. The dog is Congress. Anything to hang our hat on from the 120-minute chart? Not really. Everything is pointed down. The trend is down. We're below all the moving averages. They're making a bearish pattern. It's pointed lower. So we don't have any of the charts so far telling us anything other than bearish pointing lower. These are puzzle pieces. They're on the table. The hourly chart, same routine. It's just dripping lower. The market is trending lower. You get bounces along the way, but every bounce is knocked down by a series of sellers. The trend is lower. By the way, I want to mention something else that's being discussed with the bailout package, which is direct checks to the American people. And I believe it's as long as you make under $75,000 or a household under $150,000, you're going to get X amount per person and then X amount per child. You know the routine. You've seen the details. I don't need to reiterate it. But here's what you're hearing from economists out there. You're hearing, we need to get this money into the hands of the American people because that'll stimulate the economy. They don't know what they're talking about. That's not the point of the money. The point of the money is so people can pay their bills. That's not going to stimulate the economy. That's going to keep it from falling into the abyss. It's a stopgap measure. If the government sends somebody $1,200 or $3,000 or whatever it is, a family, they're going to buy food and necessities. They're not going to pay their bills until the coast is clear, meaning nobody's giving the credit card company money if they don't have it. They're in survival mode. They're going to buy food. That's a staple. That's a necessity. That's not there to stimulate the economy. The reason you hear stuff like that is because traditionally the economists don't understand the difference between the economy and the market. They actually think it's the same, and it's not. In fact, they think the economy drives the market, and it doesn't. It's the opposite. The biggest problem with economists out there and these financial firms is the fact that they work there, the fact that the financial firms hire them and pay them a lot of money. They feel compelled to listen to them. And the reality is they're all from the herd mentality. You rarely ever see an economist going counter to what all the other economists are saying. Nobody wants to be wrong by being different than everybody else. It's okay to be right and the same as everybody else. It's okay to be wrong and the same as everybody else. It's not okay to be wrong and different from everybody else. That's when you get fired. Some people might disagree with that assessment of economists, but the reality is I've been watching this for a long time and that's the way it is. Do we have anything going with the IWM? Interestingly enough, we do. It's not in the same position, continues not to be in the same position over the last couple of days as the S&P 500. So I'm not saying we can hang our hat on this if you want to be in the bullish camp, but nevertheless, the IWM is not making new lows. There is relative strength against the S&P 500. Therefore, it has to be a puzzle piece and it must be on the table. It is a divergence. What about the VIX? We haven't talked about the VIX in a while. The VIX went on its own version of a rocket ride. I'm not going to belabor the point about buying the VIX around 12. Let's talk about where the VIX is now, what it did today, and why. The VIX was down about 6 or 7%, and the S&P 500 was down 67 handles. 
Why is that? We don't care or need to know the reason why. All we need to know is that the fear wasn't the same leading to higher prices in the VIX as it was last week and the week before and the week before that. The market was down. The VIX was down. It's a sign. It's a potential signal. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. What it's really telling us is even if the market does continue lower, it's closer to a bottom than it isn't. What about the folks down at the transportation department? Similar, it's kind of a tweener, right? We talked about tweener over the weekend. So we have the tail low from last week, and we did not make a new low today, even with the market being down. So again, it's a puzzle piece. We're not going to hang our hat on it, and we're not buying the market because of this, but it's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. We're watching the divergences. Again, it's like turning an aircraft carrier in a pond. It's going to take some time, and it may scrape the side a little bit. You know, I'm always looking for stuff that other people are unlikely to see. So I'll bring something up. Here's a 30-minute chart, and I'm not going to hang my hat on a 30-minute chart either. I just want to point something out because I see tons of time frames on my screens. And if I find something interesting, I like to point it out. So you can see here we're below all the moving averages, so it's definitely in a downtrend. But at the end of the day, the market was really consolidating inside this little breakup candle here, consolidating to go higher above the 20-period moving average, maybe into the 50-period moving average. Now, I don't know whether that will or will not happen tomorrow, but here's what I will say. If it does happen, and the 50-period moving average is right around 6,900, we'll call it about 150 points away in the transports from current price, that would translate to a nice rally across the markets, all things being equal. Why would they be doing that? Are they doing that on renewed hopes that the Democrats and the Republicans can stop playing color war? We don't know. I just wanted to point it out. It's interesting. It's for educational purposes. It's a tiny puzzle piece. It's not really on the table. It's on the side table, like the little kids' table at the holidays. Here's an interesting one. How about the cues? So here we have a new low and a nice rally off the low, and the cues were basically down a fraction today. That's a positive. That's a divergence. We have to take that as a puzzle piece, put it on the table. It's a bigger puzzle piece than some of the others we've talked about, and it goes in concert with, we're closer to a low if we haven't seen one yet, then we're not. Could have another flush, but in reality, you're starting to see some buyers come into segments of the market. And that's the way this works. Not everything turns at once, but what fund managers, money managers are starting to realize is the world isn't going to stop. And in order for us to work at home, not have to go out in public, not have to go to the office, we're going to need more technology. What's the cues made up of? Technology. We're still going to buy technology. Companies are still going to buy technologies. We're going to be back to business at some point. The coronavirus will pass. It's a matter of when and how bad it's going to get. In the meantime, we're using technology to make the world work. That's not going to change. By now, most of you have heard of Zoom. Zoom seems to be the flavor of the day. A lot of companies, a lot of organizations are beginning to use Zoom to use internal and external communications video conference, audio conference, whatever they have, they seem to be a leading provider. Cisco has a platform called WebEx. You have GoToWebinar. 
And then you have a whole host of other second and third tier players. The world will stay connected. We like to visit people, we like to socialize with people, but in reality, we don't have to stop working. If I can see somebody, or somebody can see me, and we can have a conversation and do the same business deal without me getting in my car or on a plane, and you get what you want and what you need, then everybody goes home a winner, and it's as a result of the fact that we were still in communication. We're still a connected world. That's not going to change. We can't lose sight of the reality, and we can't lose sight of the common sense. Now, I'm not suggesting buy Zoom up here. Don't chase stuff like this. I don't know where it's going. Maybe it goes to 200, 175. Maybe it tops out tomorrow. Have no idea. But what I can tell you is, once the coronavirus thing subsides, Zoom will subside. Why is that? Because the companies that bought Zoom to use for their employees, they won't need it after a while, or they won't need as much of it after a while. So Zoom, while they're probably selling tons of licenses today, that's going to subside. So this is a frenzy. This is a momentum stock. They're chasing it around. That's fine. Not for me. Just wanted to point it out. How about the XLF? The XLF looks like the SPY. What's 1765? I believe we talked about this before. 1765 is a number that should have an assemblance of support or at least some interested buyers under normal garden variety market conditions. And we don't have garden variety market conditions, but generally speaking, buyers would show up under normal conditions right around this price. Maybe slightly lower, but this is a big area. What about the SMH? This is the proxy for the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. What's going on here? Up 4%. Again, a divergence. Is this market trying to tell us something? This is a proxy for the tech space. They're buying technology. Who's they? Companies are buying technology to use to communicate for their employees and also their customers, their ecosystems, everything around the block. It's also a way to tell you that there are managers, money managers, fund managers that are picking spots in the market. There are buyers out there. They're accumulating. Anybody with cash at some point begins to think there is a buying opportunity out here. They might be wrong for 5 or 10%. They might be wrong for 5 or 10 days. But nevertheless, ultimately, they're going to get the rip-your-face-off rally, and they know it. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you and that without you, these videos are not possible? It's all true and accurate information. So with that being said, it's everything I really wanted to and intended to discuss today. So I will use this opportunity to wrap it up and pull the ripcord right here. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app, and please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.